folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We continue our list of reviews this season. Tonight, we're going to review the interior offensive line. Here to do that with me is my matchups partner, Frazier Tafar. Frazier, how are you doing? Doing good, Ken. Glad to be a part of the review series for the interior offensive linemen. Uh, obviously, coming off the Super Bowl win, kind of down a little bit, wishing it was us. But nonetheless, here to dissect how we did inside. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, I, you know, a lot of the Ravens groups are solid this year. Some of them really spectacular. This is a very solid group. Um, mm. John Simpson played the most snaps, but all three of the guys played 900 plus snaps. And I don't think there are that many NFL teams who can claim that about their top three interior offensive linemen. And that's during the regular season. Yeah. And I think it showed, especially down the stretch when we started getting better runs inside when we run power to end games and things of that nature i think it definitely showed up with the continuity we had up front they definitely were were good at closing out games which is a a nice thing i guess we didn't really know how much of roman's run game was going to be maintained with monken but that's one of the things that the ravens have done well culturally i don't think it's just monken i think it's a, a matter of they did keep a lot of their running dna uh, some of it's keeping Patrick Ricard around, making use of him, uh, multiple tight end sets and whatnot. But uh, they did, they've done a good job with wide receiver blocking, and they've uh, they ran the football still very effectively this year. And I believe they led the NFL in rushing again. If if it was close, if it was not um, this season. Yep, and I think majority of their runs are definitely in the latter half of the game. In the second half, that's when they really started to dominate. Um, the one issue I really had with the run game is the consistency in the beginning of the game, trying to get those big runs to be able to open up the pass earlier. But other than that, the run game was effective all year, starting at center with Ze- I mean, uh, with um, Linderbaum being the head of operations up there and trickling down from him to Zeitler, Moses, and on down. I think uh, everything was a well-oiled machine up into the AFC championship game where it kind of just fell apart a little bit. Yep. And obviously, you know, there, there, there weren't really any other games. I didn't think the whole year where they didn't stay committed to the run enough, uh, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- that it was the deciding factor in losing or not. I mean, I know people are going to point out that maybe the Colts game and a couple other games is that they lost, but the fact of the matter was they beat every good opponent the entire regular season very handily. Yep. Um, it was really not until they they got out um, adjusted by the Chiefs, I would say, in the in the AFCC that that things went wrong. And I think it was it's been impressive to see that they were able to plug and play a lot in the interior, especially with uh, Cleveland popping mm-hmm. in at guard, and also when uh, Winterbaum went down and Mustafer came in in the beginning of the year. Very solid outings by both of them when they had the opportunities. Yeah, it, it's a good point because you don't always get that. And oftentimes what made, you know, one of the things that PFF has been ranking the offensive line near the top. We know some of the difficulties that have occurred, particularly left tackle hmm. um, this year. I think the right tackle actually was was played also at a very high level. But the the issues at left tackle were were, were, were quite serious. And the backup was not bad. But, you know, certainly not great. But I, what I would say about all three of the significant backups, Cleveland, Mustaver, and McCary, is it all substantially above the replacement level. Cleveland, you can make the argument, played better than certainly the left guard we had playing and and perhaps even the right guard we had playing, as we'll get to a little bit later. Yep. And I'm 100% with you on that. And I think, um, like you mentioned, when we go into the in-depth, especially on the left guard side with Simpson and his penalties, I think – that will give us more light on maybe we could see a change coming up next year if we retain Zeitler. Yeah. I'm actually a little bit surprised it didn't happen in the playoffs. I thought there was a reasonable possibility given Harbaugh's past and the success doing it in 2012 mm-hmm. was not to happen, but uh, they, they stuck with Simpson. One of the reasons I think they stuck with Simpson is he had an up and down year in terms of polls, but he was generally a little bit better. I'd say the trend line headed up a little bit, from some really significant problems early on. And I'm not sure that they really trusted Cleveland to do that. Cleveland, a little bit of a lumbering guy. And, and so they stuck with Simpson and, 
he did not have a strong finish to the year. And, you know, OTC has a valuation on him that I think is a little bit, uh, I think if he were to get it, I think he'd take it. In a, yeah. in a minute. I don't think the Ravens are offering. It's about 10 million for two years is, is what uh, uh, Brad Spielberger thinks he, he'll make. Yeah. I don't think that's in the budget at all. Now that we've seen him and I always point back to your sample size with the penalty rate. It's, it, the consistency on that end is crazy, and I don't think that warrants any pay raise on his end because he hasn't really shown that he can continue to have a successful season and play clean ball at that. I mean, yeah. you got to be able to not cause your team in crucial situations. So, And his play went down when the intensity of the games went up, and that's not what you want to see. When things started getting more intense, it seemed like he didn't arise to the occasion. Let's come back to that because he certainly didn't play his best ball at the end of the season when the Ravens were coming back and and making their push to the championship. He, he wasn't mm-hmm. playing well at all. Uh, but the other team, the rest of the team, didn't really seem to pick it up around him uh, to a high level, including Ronnie Stanley's play was going up. And Linderbaum, yep. who I thought it would be a big problem for him, well, maybe we start with Tyler, um, that – that a gap on that side was basically, you know, powers left. He was one of the best pass blockers in the league last year. He's one of the least penalized guards in the entire NFL as well. And that a gap was threatened to be bombed. Let's put it with the, with Linderbaum's pass blocking as a rookie, which was not good. Right. Um, But I think it's fair to say Linderbaum took an enormous step forward uh, in terms of his pass blocking, he's he's certainly in terms of the PFF expected value model. He looks really good. He looks really good in terms of the scoring um, that I've got. I, it, it's uh, he didn't wasn't penalized a lot. Did have one bad snap that was effectively a, a sack caused uh, for that safety that yep. went through the end, end zone, but it had to be kicked out of the end zone. But otherwise, I thought a very fine year from Tyler. Yeah, no complaints on my end. I. Uh... I'm excited to continue to see his growth and becoming an all pro center eventually once uh, people stop voting for Creed Humphrey. Um, I think what I really, really enjoy about his game is his barking at the line of scrimmage, being able to hear him talk, communicate, be the guy up front, talking to Lamar in the middle of the play. I think those kind of things, that kind of leadership is what you want to see from your all pro center being able to, being able to pick up the pieces where there might be weak links, like on that uh, left side a gap where it's just him and um, Simpson, those kind of traits can't be replaceable. And I think Linderbaum showed that he's one of the best centers in the league this year. Definitely had a, a, a great leap forward as a pass blocker. If there are Ravens fans out there who still don't realize what a jump it was because the look at PFF score this year and last year is run blocking actually came down a tick. Pass blocking went way up, and his and his overall grade is is better, but it's still not the kind of jump. At least I don't. I think it's better, but but it's not the kind of jump you might expect from somebody who's jumping from a middle of the pack center to a a Pro Bowl player. Mm-hmm. Um, very very solid year though, and and uh, he was better at picking up stunts and blitzes. Um, you know, we talked about the expected bombing of the A gap, but I, I think he was still getting to level two and and doing some things he just it, in roman's offense that's a staple of what the center yes was. you know you, you're doing it all the time much more he was asked to do it less in a in, a, in more of a pocket passing offense this year 100 percent, and that's exactly what i was going to say i think we didn't see that from linderbaum in terms of his run grade go up is because he's not getting those opportunities to make those highlight blocks it's just him being able to seal off backside or if we're doing uh, inside zone or outside zone, being able to get to the second level as fast as possible. But I think with this whole season under Munkin, I think there will be another reevaluation period of the run game and continue to grow and utilize how we can use Linderbaum because his athleticism is slim to none. There's no one in the league like it, I think. Yeah, he's, he's, he's very special as a center prospect in that. Uh, you know, one of the other things, and Matt Skura, I don't think, got really a lot of great credit for this, but he deserved it because the Ravens' run offenses were good then when he was leading him to the playoffs in the 2018 stretch. And for the first part of 2019, he's in there for, for a lot of that historic offense. Um, but one of the things that happens in the Ravens' system is they pull two players or pull even one player a lot. 
that creates a very dis disadvantaged and difficult block for that center because mm -hmm. he's got to move at a very flat angle. Um, if it were to the front side of the play, it'd be called a reach block. Um, yep. But it's it's a uh, uh, you know it's a it's a backside block where he's still got to remain very flat. It's not an easy uh, play to make. It's probably a little bit easier than a reach, but it's still not easy. It's almost um, a full block. Yeah, almost. Yeah, I mean he's, he definitely has to go flat along the line of scrimmage instead of going uh, left. And that first step is critical. And if that defensive if that defensive tackle realizes what's going on, or sometimes it's the end, um, you know he he may be too quick. For for Linderbaum to handle him, so uh, it's a uh, it's a difficult uh, difficult job he's been asked to do, and and one I think he's done very well. Getting to the end of this year, so he, Linderbaum enters year three, and we we've obviously have discussions about all sorts of players that need an extension. Linderbaum, there are actually no allowed negotiation between him and the team regarding an extension until the end of this season. So he has to play through year three. Then the Ravens will have the potential to pick up a fifth-year option. But Linderbaum is kind of a special case because being a lineman, he's grouped in with all a bunch of tackles and guards who all have positions which command more money, basically, wow. than center. And so the Ravens don't really have a valuable fifth-year option with him. They won't be able to afford it. And now, particularly now that he's been a pro bowler and is the risk of getting it again – it, what it essentially means is that fifth-year option is valueless now to the Ravens. So um, they'll have to negotiate after year four, sorry, after year after year three probably, or after year four if they if they want to you know wait until the deadline there um, to extend him, and that's going to probably make it more expensive. So I, I'm hoping that after year three, if they want to make him a cornerstone player, that they go ahead and make the deal then extend him for three or four years at that point. Yep, I fully agree with that. I think um, getting him locked up in terms of the offensive line, he is the key to the to the engine at this point. Um, if we can offload Ronnie Stanley's contract, I think we allocate those resource, resources towards center and then let it trickle out that way. Um, I just don't see who else would combat him that year in terms of who needs to be reconstructed or who needs to be re-signed that year hamilton oh that's another big key too yeah i mean he's 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 actually got a valuable fifth-year option so they may they may not have to uh decide on that um oa would be another one oa they're picking up the fifth-year option Bateman. after uh bateman i don't think they're gonna pick that up i think they're gonna they're gonna let him play year four and then we'll see. But that'd be my prediction is Bateman is a no and, and OA is a, to me, is a very obvious yes. Yeah. But that means that Bateman at the end of this year, sorry, uh, OA at the end of this year is also going to need to be a um, uh, pay him or let him walk. Um, uh, sorry, at the end of 24, they'll four. have to start those negotiations. Yeah. And same with Linderbaum, you know, in terms of, of if you want to get an early jump on the negotiations, that's when you, when you have to do it. Yeah, I think a guy like Linderbaum, you have to put those resources towards him. I think he's shown that he's a leader. He, like We have Andrews, we have Lamar. You need to have another lineman that can be another leader up front as well. All right, well, hopefully he's the guy. Um, you know, In terms of his grades, that he had some variation in game-to-game, -game, but he never really had a fall-off-the-table game. He did have one F the entire year. That was against Cleveland in Week 10. Um, but otherwise, you know, a, a solid year, a couple Ds. Uh, he had got a D against Detroit when the whole team was, you know, mashing the Lions. So that's not a big deal to have that happen. That's despite that great block in that game. D plus against San Francisco against a lot of big interior linemen. There were times when I felt like he was still a little outsized by his opponent, as you know, was a problem for him with a rookie against some very talented and large defensive linemen, Dexter Lawrence, Vita Vea, players like that. But I, I you know, he was definitely better this year as a pass blocker, and it really showed up week after week um, in the stats. Didn't didn't have that fall off the table game. Yeah, his size was it didn't affect it didn't jump off the screen like it did last year. I could say that. Let's move on. Talk a little bit about Kevin Zeitler, the right guard. Um, you know, Zeitler is a player who had a terrible start to this year. Uh, CDD in the first three games. It was looking like, boy, the Ravens were really lucky not to re-sign him before the season. And of course, now they're trying to re-sign him again. 
right. and and try and see if they can figure out a way to work out a contract. You're always at a danger with a player this age that he's he, well one that he's going to get old quickly, or two that he might decide to retire for various physical reasons and he might not play the last year of say a two or three year deal and you get stuck holding the bag when you thought you had a you know a somewhat productive veteran there. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that in terms of this contract? And 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 are you where do you stand on Zeitler getting re-upped? I think he played so good down the stretch; it's almost hard not to re-sign him. Um, you don't want to you don't want to bring in Zeitler, and then, like you said, he gets old really fast. And then you kind of waste that capital, and then Voorhees ends up being the guy at right guard, or whether it be Cleveland at right guard, and we already had a replacement in house the whole time. So then you would be paying Zeitler for his leadership at that point, effectively. So I think if you want to take that risk, kind of like an Odell Beckham, but on a way smaller scale, that would be smart. It is. It's gonna. It's not gonna be super cheap. Um, OTC has two years at fifteen million, being a, a fair price tag for him. I don't think the Ravens get him for that. Honestly, I think it's gonna take more money and 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 probably more years and some void years, which means they're gonna be mortgaging some more future to get something out of this year. Um, his player though was remarkable after those first three weeks. His grades the rest of the season. I'm just gonna read these off to give you a sense. B minus, A minus, D, A, A minus, A, A, A minus, B, 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 C plus, B, and an A in the AFC Championship game. So didn't really have any down moments the whole year where he, where he fell off the table, certainly, or even failed in a particular game uh, is really impressive. But on the other side, he, he did have a good penalty year in terms of only being penalized for 25 yards. Did not have a good pass blocking year, not, not at the really top echelon. I have him for five and a quarter sacks allowed. Now I could go to PFF and look what they have him for, but I'm sure they they might have him for less because they're usually hesitant to give out a full sack when he he's the one who causes the initial flush. Mm-hmm. So I'll just look at this. They have him for three sacks, one hit, and 17 hurries. As so I've got him for five and a quarter sacks, one point one and a third quarterback hits are very similar there and 18.66 pressures, 18 and two-thirds. So they've got him for 17. So we're close on most things except for the except for the sacks here. And uh, that's a little bit um, – a lot of his problems came in week three against Indianapolis when he allowed two and a half sacks. So it's, that's really half of the problem right there, um, which is one of the reasons why I was really concerned so early about what was yeah. going on with Zeitler. Yeah. And I think, uh, like you mentioned, if you take out that really bad game in the beginning, I think – he has a really good, solid year. That's again Pro Bowl level for the first time in his career. Shockingly, he gets to yep. the Pro Bowl on a replacement, not really getting in through vote, but yep. uh, it's warranted regardless. I think he's shown that he's the mo- he's one of the most consistent guards in the league up to this point. Um, I just hope he's able to continue that intensity and that level of play for at least one more year um, if we ever are able to re-sign him. Um, I think another good thing is that him and Zeitler mesh very well, and it's going to be hard to replicate that on the right side because I don't think there's been miscommunication on that side since Linderbaum has came into the league. So I'm really I'm interested to see how we're going to approach it this year. They're a good pairing, and they certainly are the two um, front runners on the line in terms of what they give the Ravens. Like, uh, sorry, Morgan Moses is also terrific. Uh, you know, the, you mentioned the Pro Bowl, though. It is incredible that this is his first Pro Bowl. Absolutely incredible. For for my entire life as a fan, um, he's by far the greatest lineman in terms of his, the career he's had to never make a Pro Bowl prior prior to this year. And I know it can happen occasionally when you get caught behind someone, but oftentimes that someone will go and they'll make a Pro Bowl, or sorry, they'll make a Super Bowl, and you'll mm-hmm. be done, or they'll alternate, there'll be injuries, there'll be you know any number of ways you could get added to that roster. But he basically, you know, was behind Marshall Yonda for a lot of his career, and and right. not making the Pro Bowl because of that. Um, but there's still, you know, you would think still there's other opportunities to get in. He's played so well. 
Um, Coleccio Semele, I guess, might have made a Pro Bowl in front of him. Ben Grubbs, I think, made a couple of Pro Bowls, even though he's a left guard and, and Zeitler's always been a right guard. Um, they usually just pick a, a, a number of guards and they yeah. and they go with that. Um, but but uh, you know, an odd thing, and I'm it's I'm, I'm just really happy to see him get this as a Raven finally. Me too. I think it's going to be a a propping point for his negotiation. So I'm not really excited about that, but glad to see that him get his flowers and just him being on some really bad teams like the New York Giants and was it Cleveland he was on? Yeah, Cleveland, um, Cincinnati, right? Played for Cincinnati. Yep. So he wasn't really in the spotlight like he is now. So it's, I'm glad that he's able to get the honor he deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else is there to say about this? Uh, you know, are you concerned at all about what re-signing will do to block Voorhees in Cleveland? Would that be a concern of yours at all? Yes, in terms of Cleveland, only because you got to figure out what you're going to do with him. You just can't keep bringing this guy along on the roster every single year just to be a utility six man. He has to have some kind of value to the team other than that. So I would say yes in the case for Cleveland. I think Voorhees, he's still coming off the rehab, so we're not really sure where he's at. Um, once that comes into play and we get into camp and things of that nature, then we'll get that answer. But in the immediate future, it is affecting Cleveland. Well, the good news about Voorhees is he'll still be a first-year player next year. So he was on NFI the whole year. The Ravens still have control of him for four more years, which I think was part of the thought of drafting him. Um, And we hope that uh, Voorhees is a name that Cleveland comes to rue, and not not Ben Cleveland, but Cleveland the city, for (laughs) trading him that draft draft pick for a sixth-round pick the way they traded the rights to move up one spot and get a Holodinata for a sixth-round pick. So uh, we will remember the player that the Browns draft with that sixth round pick with the hope that Voorhees obviously has a much more significant career. For sure. All right, let's move on. Talk about John Simpson a little bit. Um, led the team in offensive line snaps. And and if you follow the Ravens this season, it might be obvious. It might not. But Zeitler sat out two games at the end. Linderbaum sat out a couple games early on. Um, Stanley had injuries, of course, and, and missed a little bit of time, also went into rotation, and Moses had some rotation as well. Um, so, you know, nobody else played the position basically every game, and John Simpson was the one guy um, who played every, not every snap, but pretty close to every snap for the entire year. Yeah, he had a couple snaps off here and there for injury, but overall he was the most seasoned lineman on the team throughout the year. Um I think there were some things to be glad about his play. I think just the consistency of him being there day in, day out, and at least getting to his assignment, making the blocks when they need to be there. Um, over, overall, just average for Johnson. So you can't have a discussion about John Simpson without getting into penalties. And this was a problem with the Raiders. That's really the reason I think John Simpson was brought here uh, on a end-of-year deal. Last year, the Raiders released him in, in 22, and the Ravens picked him up for the practice squad. They retained him then, of course, and, and let him win the job. But um, he had 17 penalties and 1,622 snaps with the Raiders, and it was a bunch of big ones, a bunch of offensive holding, personal fouls, only two false starts in that group. But it works out to one penalty – every 94, 95.4 snaps, 17 and 1622. 94.4 is the, is the number to remember, though. Now, with the Ravens, of course, he's coming to much better coaching. And so the Ravens thought, no problem. Joe D will get with him, and we will get in this guy's head and in some other ways, which we'll get to in a moment, and try and get this guy to stop making excuses, to stop, you know, holding frankly which is the which is the really big problem hopefully cut out some of the personal fouls as well and we think we can reduce his number of penalties well with the ravens this year and this includes the postseason 13 penalties in 1242 snaps that's one every 95.5 snaps so we went from one every 95.4 in, in in las vegas to one every 95.5 with with baltimore and at that rate he, he'll be good uh by about the year 3000 <laughs> 
<laughs> no, literally, it'll be a long time <laughs> uh, before he get it. That kind of consistency at an unstable level is just really weird to see statistically. Yeah, and that, I mean, it tells you exactly what you can expect from him. You're going to expect that kind of level of play. And I think we've talked about this in the past on the show. I don't, I'm not a fan of having average linemen for Lamar Jackson. I'm the believer of having dominant guys up front and let him do the work by distributing and not having him to run for his life. And I think a lineman like John Simpson is forcing Lamar to do that because if you just have average guys out there, it's not going to get the job done every single time consistently. And I think when you think of a guy like Linderbaum and Zeitler, those guys are very consistent, especially Zeitler down the stretch with A's all around across the board. You're not seeing pressure get in on that side as easy as you were on Simpson's side. And I think that is a product of his just overall makeup and his play. I think it's it it speaks volumes that he's consistent in that level, that he's probably consistent throughout all of his game. I I want to come back to that. I want to table that for a minute, and we'll just talk about the penalties there were there for a second. Because this year he had he had thirteen penalties. Eight of them were holding, two false starts, unnecessary roughness, illegal use of hands. And I think there was another, and it might have been a shared false start or something, because the NFL site only has seems to have them for twelve penalties, and I've got them for thirteen here. So I'm not sure there is a difference of one. Um, in there, I have to maybe also check my own records to make sure that I agree with PFF's number that they, that's where the 13 comes from as well. But anyway, only two of them false starts. So what's bad about that? That means all the rest of his penalties are these post snap fouls. Well, not only was every single one a 10 yard penalty or worse because illegal use of hands is 10, unnecessary roughness is 15, and then he had all the holding penalties. But the other problem is they all give the defense the option to decline them. Yep. And that has enormous value. I talk about that every once in a while, I know, but you know, a, a lot of people still don't get that. They don't they don't make the differentiation between an illegal downfield play and a false start, for example. Illegal downfield, much worse penalty. False start is five yards at the only illegal downfield is five yards at the best, because the if the defense decided the incomplete pass or the interception or whatever that happened otherwise uh is is to their liking, they'll just decline the penalty and take that instead. Simpson stalled. Seven total drives this year with penalties. Jeez, that's a lot. That is a lot of drives. It's <laughs> a lot of drives. Jeez, man. That's not so, good at all. <laughs> so let's come back to this. What role do you see John Simpson coming back in for this team? Veteran minimum. Um, that, fighting, that's the price. What's fighting, the role? Fighting for his life in camp, just like he did last year. I think he has to earn his right. Um, Give him better competition than Salah. I think you have to really put him in a bind this year. Yeah. It was, it was kind of an interesting situation with Salah. Um, they installed him at the first day of OTAs as they start, as their starting left guard who's leading the competition. I heard some people from local radio who really bought into this hook, line and sinker. I mean, they're just, just ridiculous. I mean, frankly, um, and, and this, it shows you how little you can tell from actually watching offensive linemen move around in camp. Yep. It doesn't. It really doesn't mean very much. You have to wait for physicality, for joint practices, and you know the joint practices with with just the Redskins. The, uh, sorry, the Commanders <laughs> really makes that show up a, yep. a lot. And then he, and they had a disastrous preseason. Sala did, but we were basically hoodwinked into thinking that the Ravens ever thought that Sala was going to going to win that job. I think the Ravens never believed it. I think they're trying to tell send John Simpson a message that you need to be more responsible about your play. You need to figure out what's going on. I know we said that on the show enough, so we don't have to keep adding that uh, uh, time after time. But I think, you know, John Simpson basically uh, did not have a terrible start to the season. He finished very weak, had a bunch of games, eight out of the last nine, where he got a D or a D plus. He had one C in there otherwise. So it's a remarkably consistent play, again, like the the penalty rate. (laughs) You could be consistent at a D level. That's very hard to do. Yeah. Particularly guard. I mean, there's a lot of variation in there. Yeah, it was tough to see. Like you mentioned down the stretch, that was the main key that I brought up earlier in the show. Just 
it was tough to see him not pick up the intensity like everyone else on the offense. Even Ronnie Stanley was able to pick it up, and he just was the one link just holding us back. Well, not holding us back, but you get what I'm saying. He wasn't the one playing up to par with the rest of the team. Right. In, in a lot of ways, he's he's kind of the reason I couldn't I couldn't give credence to the notion that the Ravens' offensive line was really near the top of the league. And you yep. groups of, groups like PFF and other groups that are that are rating all offensive lines and are, are putting the Ravens in the top five. I think part of what made the the Ravens' offensive line really good um, is just having Lamar Jackson for, for for certain because that makes everybody better. But the, but the other the other thing that made the the offensive line really good is that they didn't have a ton of continuity issues. And and most other lines in the National Football League had huge problems. They had, you know, three different tackles or they had yep. three different left guards or something like that. Even the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, look how broken that offensive yeah. line was when the Ravens went out and played that game. Yeah, so it was, to me, even when we had the rotation, the continuity was still evident. So yeah. that was the big thing. And I give all props to Joe D., He's the main guy putting this together. He's the mad scientist behind this. So you can say John Simpson is the problem at this point because Joe D put all this scheme together, put this great idea with the tackle rotation and all this. That's, That's historical offensive line coaching right there. That's someone who's putting his players in great position to succeed. And for Simpson to be mediocre consistently and not show any improvement, that's really shocking. So... I don't think that has anything to say about Joe D. I think this is just who John Simpson is. I think I think that's I think it's a very fair representation of this right now. I think it's a great point and very fair representation is that is that Joe D has has brought up a lot of other young linemen and made them develop them into being very good linemen. And maybe there's still a hope for Simpson, but it's getting kind of late. The clock is really ticking because he's a free agent now. Yep. And you know, who wherever he signs He's at risk of this being his last season in the NFL. hundred percent. And and I just you'd, you'd you'd hate to see him really ha- be forced off into the sunset because guys like him don't retire. You know they're they're cut and and they try again and they're cut and they they never make another NFL roster. And it the unfortunate thing about this is that um, it will have been a what might have been situation. His career at Clemson was was very good. He certainly looks like an offensive lineman. I've often commented that he looks more like an offensive tackle than a, than a guard, mm. uh, which which is fine, by the way. Could have could have been a tackle, maybe, but uh, uh, he just has never been able to get over the holding calls. And they're they're uh, you know they are massively important. It would be difficult for me to overstate how significant holding calls are. I, I want to have this discussion with you briefly. I don't know if we've had it directly or if I've had it with somebody else on a show, but when you have a, a positive play mm. occur, there's a lot of people with their hands out looking for credit for that positive play. Well, you know, you had two or three linemen make a good block. You got your fullback through to level two and he he blocked up somebody. Your wide receiver took care of somebody in level three, made a block he was supposed to make. Your quarterback didn't fumble the mesh point. Your quarterback might have been a good decoy. For the run in general, but you end up gaining you know eight yards instead of four on that play, let's say, because mm-hmm. of your combination and, and your running back had something to do with it too. You see, you know, you might have five guys to split the credit for that on a normal play. On a penalty, I don't know how you can how you can toss that that charge out for the penalty any other way than just to that one player. I really don't have another way to think about it. So in some of the relative scoring, in particular, the PFF does, I don't think they have the weightings properly on penalties. And that's why I'm, I'm extremely strict on them. And when we have differences in scoring, it almost always comes down to um, two things. One is penalties. And two is uh, my high value of protecting the throwing cone. So giving the, giving the quarterback an ability to step into his throw. Right. And I think with the penalty aspect, especially in the holding, that is a product of you not getting in your spot before the defender and you not moving. So with John Simpson, I think that was his issue. And to address the difference in penalties between PFF, I think. Oh, we've lost him here for a second. He's, he'll come back. All right, bringing him back. 
All right, bringing you back in. So you were in the middle of a thought, you thought with, with regard to the penalties. In regards to the penalties, trying to figure out who to pin it on, I think holding is one of those penalties. Yes, the lineman needs to get in front of their guy, but also if the, say the play's supposed to be an inside zone and it breaks to the outside, that puts the lineman in a bind where they were expecting this to go up upfield and now they're going out and then you just you get in a situation where you're forced to hold because you it's just physics at that point so okay hold on now you were you were a guard right you played on the left side of the right side when you played guard in high school left guard left guard okay so was your offense right-handed so you were pulling more often than not yep okay so in in terms of of and I'm not sure that the pulling question really matters this much in this case because usually pulling you you get the opportunity to make a, a pretty square shot on the thing so it's more like when the when the runner is turning the corner and you've been pushed back a yard into the backfield but the right. runner's put, put turning the corner and and you're holding on for dear life how did you know when to let loose when you were inside the you know you're inside the frame and you're allowed to hold jersey then. Right. But you get the, that guy gets outside the frame. You got to let him go, and you got to let him go right away, or you're going to get called for that flag. What was your technique to get through that? I think the main thing is just timing and having practice and understanding when the hole is supposed to be hit or when you can anticipate when to let go of the block. That's where you, as a lineman, that's where your intelligence comes into play, and you're just not this brute. You have to be able to understand that. You're there to make the impact block just enough to get your running back that alley. So I think it's more so just knowing the play and being able to time it correctly. I think when you have off-schedule plays, kind of like a draw play where you're waiting for your guy to make the move to get on them, those kind of situations tend to be holding because it's a play that can go so many directions and not a set directional play. But if you're, like you mentioned, running a, a trap play where you have to pull and get the nose tackle, things like that, you're going to be square up and you're already going to have the hit. So if you're trying to seal a guy from getting to the outside, those those are more timing plays, in my opinion. Right. And and then, of course, it can happen on pass plays as well. And holding penalties are usually a pretty good indication that you're in the process of getting beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden the, the, the defender's outside your frame and you've still got his armpit, you're holding on. There may be other technique issues where Simpson, and I really haven't studied this enough to know, where Simpson is doing something specific in terms of his hand placement that is causing holds to occur. Like, like if, he's, if he's getting caught up in the opponent's armpit. You know when he goes around because they'll lift their arms. I mean, they beg for the hold. They show it right there. If they if they've got holding on the armpit, that's the first thing they're supposed to do is throw up their arm and right. show that the the guys in the armpit is they're trying to get around. Yeah. And also his his hand fighting might not be elite. I think as a lineman, your job is to get the hands on the defense first, and if you're not able to do that, you're already in a compromised position. So. Yeah that's probably why we're seeing him in the armpit because he's not getting his hands on people first. Yeah. All right, let's move on. I think, you know, if I were, if, if they were, if they're bringing back Simpson, I'm hoping it's at a vet man deal or, you know, I could go a little above that. Cause I think he's actually provides valuable depth to the team. I yeah. think if he were the backup, I think that'd be, that'd be very useful. Um, but my number would be like two years, 4 million, you know, and I don't think the Ravens can get him for that. I think there's just somebody else willing to overpay with all the mm-hmm. offensive line deficiencies across the league. I think there's just somebody willing to pay. I 100% agree. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Ben C- Cleveland, who, who came to camp this year in completely different shape from last year. So last year he showed up at 370, just got married, failed the conditioning test, got in the doghouse, and basically they were feeding him, you know, biscuits all year. <laughs> because uh, he never really got a chance to play very much. He was never a part of this left guard camp battle. Did that surprise you at all? Yeah, 100%, because he was my guy going into camp for left guard because I wanted to see a real big offensive line in front of Lamar. But I think uh, he's probably still feeling those effects from the doghouse back last year when he came into camp, uh, when he came into camp out of shape. I think uh, I was definitely shocked when he didn't get the chance this year. So 
the other thing we saw this year is there's this left guard battle going on that includes two guys in Sala and Simpson, who it's not obvious, you know, who who, who the winner is going to be until Simpson played a little bit in the preseason. Then it became obvious. But the other thing was kind of strange is Cleveland playing both right guard and right tackle in the preseason. Right. Now, he did also play a little bit of left guard for full disclosure here during the preseason, but he basically was never part of that open competition, quote unquote, for the left guard spot. Uh, it looked like they wanted to be Zeitler's replacement. And it looked like they they wanted another backup tackle option. And I, I believe they may have actually used him during the season at right tackle for a couple of snaps. Wasn't much whenever they did, but I, um, they had obviously injuries uh, at various times during the year. Yeah, and I think they actually had him practicing at center too. Like when he warms up for the games, he's center. So they're trying to put him at every position right now, trying to get him on the field. But right guard is definitely his natural position, and it's very evident in his play. He's he seems to seamlessly step in when Zettler's not not available and play at a decent level. Um, how many snaps did he have at right tackle? Do you have it right here in front of you? Uh, I, I don't have right tackle separately. I ha- What I do have is I have his total snaps for the year. And so m- my number doesn't include the penalties or it doesn't include any play with a penalty or a snapper or a spike or a um, kneel. But he had 163 scored snaps. And he only had two and a half pressures allowed, quarter of a sack allowed, only missed 12 blocks, which is which is pretty good. You know, it's about a seven percent missed block rate, which is which is very solid. And he actually outscored Zeitler for the year, as I have it. Now he only had two real full games, and he's got a lot of sixth offensive line snaps in there. A few snaps at the end of games where very unlikely he would ever be graded down because it's just too, the other team's playing brother-in-law football at that point a lot of times. But he played, you know, the two games he played were one was Miami. And of course, they scored 56 points on Miami. And the other one was that Pittsburgh finale where it was a mess. Right. And but also the Ravens didn't have Lamar Jackson at quarterback in that game, which you know makes his job all the much harder. And he scored uh, 83 and an 84 in those two games and 84 overall for the season, including his OL six snaps. Um, he actually, you know, he scored higher than Zeitler for the year. Only one five yard penalty the whole year, too, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, if you're relative to sample size, you could say that. But I yeah. think um, I'm excited to see what he brings next year. We say that every year about Cleveland, but this really needs to be the year where we really find out what he's about in terms of whether it be left guard or right guard. We need to get him on the field. Well, it's, it's his fourth season, so this is it. I mean, he was a Harbaugh draft pick. This is the funny thing. I mean, he was yeah. Harbaugh was the guy banging the table for Ben Cleveland. That's the way it's just, you know told to us, you know, as as far as this went. I liked him too, by the way. He's my number two guard in in that draft. But it's very upsetting to see him not get a chance. And and honestly, that's the one. I have a, I have a couple of misgivings about resigning Zeitler. It's just I I wonder if it's the best use of the money. I th- I, I do wonder. How, where the Ravens have an easier way to cut expense. So Zeitler's a great player, no doubt about it. And I Zeitler 2024, I take over Cleveland 2024. But I wonder, where do they have a better opportunity to cut expense than letting Zeitler go and giving the job to Cleveland and taking that leap of faith? Yeah, and I think if you were to go that route, you can potentially allocate those resources to left guard, which will cost you a little bit less and have a decent left uh, backup there. So it's a lot of different alleys we can go. And I think it all starts with the in-house talent that we have that we can make sure that produces the cheap output that we need under Lamar's contract. And Cleveland falls into that category. All right. Let's keep moving here a little bit. Sam Mustafer, he played about 200 snaps, uh, mostly in week two and three as Linderbaum's replacement. He also got some mop-up time at various times. They tried to get Linderbaum out of there a few times, and they put Mustafer at center. So he got a few snaps at left guard in one game. Um, solid backup. A guy, there was something funny going on, but he was. I thought he was a fourth-year player. The Ravens had him as a fourth-year player on their roster, and all of a sudden they waived him, and they were able to bypass the waiver process. I never gotten a good explanation of that. Of yeah, why he, 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 yeah, and and now you know he's he'll be a fifth-year player this next year. Uh, I'm perfectly happy with him coming back and being the backup center again at the vet minimum. I don't know if that's in the cards, but I'm perfectly happy with it, and I don't know that there's a huge market for Sam Mustafer out there. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And I, like you said, I would be more than willing to bring him back as a practice squad center. Yeah. Would you be? How, how about a roster spot center? If he's if you're if McCary is not really your backup center is, is what I would contend because you're yeah, sorry, he's your backup, your left tackle. Mm-hmm. So if you can't really afford to have him in there, and then that means you have Cleveland and Vories, one of them starting and the other one not at left guard, assuming they don't draft anybody there. You have, or, or you have a draft pick and you don't have Zeitler, <laughs> one, of the, one or the other. Right. You have Linderbaum at center and you have Moses and Stanley starting again at both tackle spots with the twin backups. Are you okay with Mustafer being your ninth lineman on game day where you have – actually, it does, does, he really either has to be – he's the eighth lineman or the ninth lineman on game day. And sometimes he's been the eighth and sometimes he's been the ninth. But but um, uh, it's, actually, it's actually a little bit more complex than that. So he, he does have to – he has to sit out a lot, but he has to probably be the ninth man on the 53. Okay. Because I'm thinking – the Ravens somehow opened up their crystal ball in the beginning of the year and had Sam Musper on the roster perfectly in time for Linderbaum when he got hurt. So, yeah, I think I think maybe the Ravens probably do keep him on the roster for things of that situation come up again. Uh, yeah, I think having a roster spot for him could be valuable. Okay. All right, three other guys that are are you know. We don't know exactly where these guys are, but we're hoping in the case of Voorhees, certainly, who sat out the whole year, still the, you know, one of the highest recent bench press numbers in the combine, and he did it after tearing his ACL. So pretty remarkable in, in that respect. Hopefully he'll be back and be healthy, and hopefully he can has left guard traits, although it seems like a guy with his strength probably has some right guard traits, natural ability to torque that defensive tackle and open the front gate on right-handed run plays. Yeah, and I think Voorhees was definitely dominant at USC. He showed that he was one of the best guards in, in the draft before he got unfortunately hurt. So I'm excited to see him. In, first, I want to see him in camp, and I can't wait to see his preseason action and the competition that comes about between him and Cleveland. Um, whether we sign Zeitler or not, that's going to be the competition we're looking at all summer. Uh, it should be a lot of fun, um, and, and that, that you're right. That's one of the that's one of the, the central fights there is is for that last roster spot. Ben Cleveland doesn't have a roster spot even secure. If he were to yeah. show up, you know, overweight again, I think he'd probably be on the outs. Um, guy number two is Tayshawn Manning, though. Now he was on the practice squad the whole year. He was at one of the first guys they offered a futures deal to after the season was over, and uh, so meaning he's on the ninety man, you know, for 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 next started next camp effectively uh, played well at Kentucky uh, still hopeful that he'd be the guy. I don't honestly have a good sense of whether he's a, a strictly a left guard or a right guard at the NFL level or whether they even have something else in mind for him. It won't be a tackle, but um, you know, it, you never know. Usually it's a more athletic, more guy who's carrying a little bit less weight to play guard than mm-hmm. would turn into the next Patrick or card. But I'm I'm looking for that. I'm looking for the, the Ravens to to find that next guy because we're now no more than a year away probably from needing it. Very true. And I think, yeah, looking at our options, especially in the lineman room, could be crucial with that. Um, I don't know if you can get Ben Cleveland to slim down another 100 pounds, but that'd be great if you could do that yeah, and be our little Swiss knife. He might be too big for the role, but but you know a lot of teams go to a very heavy guy there. They you know they they don't have any problem going to a three hundred pound guy. Of, you know, oftentimes a center. In some ways, it may help to have a six two or six three guy there instead mm-hmm. of a, a six five or six six guy there. And Ben Ben Cleveland's every bit of you know six six probably. Um, and you don't. I, I, I think he might be too big for that role. Boy, it would be fun if he were the right size for that role. But uh, sure, yeah. And then the third guy, of course, they have is Sala, um, and kind of a, a lost year for him in a lot of yeah. ways. Had had something put on his plate before him, and he just wasn't up to the challenge. He, he remains at this point just a developmental lineman. And when you're talking about that, and he's now got a, a year of service time under his belt, that puts him kind of in a worse position than Tayshawn Manning, who does not have a year of service time under his belt. So Tayshawn Manning, they still get four years out of, Salah, even if they can write the ship, they only get three years out of. Yeah, and um, I think currently, as it stands, I see Salah and Falele 
almost in the same school of not being aggressive to the point where yeah. you can sustain an NFL. No. They need to do something with that. How how do they get that training? I mean, it's it's obviously it's something that is. I know it. A lot of it's won through hard won experience, but I mean, it's just punching and wanting to strike your opponent is just a natural part of offensive line play. It seems like there should be a school that he can go to, a specific offensive line coaching guru he can go to, because maybe the Ravens don't have the time, frankly, to completely reschool this guy, either of them, on, yeah. on how to be an aggressive punch first and and first contact is generally going to win, um, be that kind of a player. Uh, and I think, uh, to be frank with you, Ken, it's something you can't teach. You got to have that. You got to have that it factor. You got to be able to not be – I'm not saying these guys are afraid, but you don't see Morgan Moses p- p- patty kicking with people. You don't see Zeitler patty kicking. You don't see Leonard Baum. Why is it just those two guys that can't get with the program in that sense? I think as offensive line, you got to be mean. You got to be gritty. That has to be an intangible before you get drafted. So – that has to be something on the Ravens. They need to reevaluate how they draft linemen if that's what they wanted to go for. Because those two guys were just size, pure size. Yeah, they, they and that, I completely agree with that entire uh, commentary there. And and it's something where, you know, it, I haven't seen enough from Salah yet to put him in the Falele category. But Falele is not a natural finisher. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he doesn't he doesn't take people to the ground and fall on top of them and love that part of football. You know, there's no appearance of that. And you've probably met people in your life who are just, they're big guys, but they're just nonviolent people. Like teddy bears. Yeah. And, and, you know, you don't, you don't want that from Salah. He's not, he's not monolithic enough as a right tackle. And he he doesn't have the mirror to stay in front of that, uh, of that edge defender without there being some physical contact in front of him uh, involved there. And if he does ever succeed with the Ravens, it's going to be against players like TJ Watt and others. And, and, you know, there are too many good pass rushers that come from that strong side now to have a guy who, who is just, you know, not about delivering first contact. And even Ronnie Stanley has a little mean streak, and that's yep. saying a lot because Ronnie's not really an aggressive type player. But if you're not more physical than Ronnie, or if you're less physical than him, that's saying a lot about you. So yeah. we're looking a lot for Falele and Salah moving forward. Well, Ronnie has tremendous technical ability in yep. terms of of being a mirror and whatnot, and it's really sad to see some of that taken away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the injuries and whatnot, but I think we saw at least a, a, in the closing games of this year, and I, I'm kind of excited about having Ronnie Stanley back now because I think the Ravens they won't move on from him. They'll go ahead and pay the money, not try and save eight million there, and they'll uh, uh, they'll have a big big decision to make in 25 because it might be about 20 million dollar savings. But it gives them an extra year to try and get that problem solved through yep. a two year draft project. You know, a guy who they draft in 24 and isn't ready to go until 25. I think the way Ronnie played at the end of the year is very encouraging. I think we might see actual another step, another gear for Ronnie back to his 2019 level coming up. If Wouldn't he, that be great? If he stays healthy and continues on track with his program and his rehab and all that. But inevitably, I think he's out in 25 because I think the Ravens are going to have their plan in place. And if Ronnie does play back to his all-pro level in 24, which we're praying for, if he gets back to that level, he's going to price himself out of Baltimore anyway. So, well, but if he if he did play at an All Pro level, they keep him around in twenty five and and eat the twenty million. That would be fine. You think? Um, I I do. I think they would. Okay. They might try and trade him. I mean, that'd be a possibility. But even if they, okay, so because the value okay. just doesn't add up to the age at that point. I know he just he's coming off All Pro year, but yeah, got to pay the future, not now. If that makes sense. I know I'm I'm with you on that. I, I'm I'm ageist as hell when it comes to getting rid of older players and making sure you don't get caught holding the old maid. But you've only got one more year on the contract and it's a twenty million dollar savings and you've got an all pro level player from the previous year. I think you hold on to that. But even if you don't, I think you could trade it mm-hmm. and try and get a little something for it. Cause cause remember, his contract is gonna be he'll earn more than twenty million, or he has earned some of it already in the form of prorated signing bonuses. But it's only twenty million to some other team, and there's a lot of teams out there that are going to need a left tackle, right? Because every year there's you know there's teams that are 
trying to figure out how they'll solve a left tackle problem. And, and there's plenty of contenders always in that position. So if, if, the, if your solution for 20 million is you trade a second round draft pick to, to get that guy, I think, you know, there, there, there might be a, a team willing to do that. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, if it, 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 what it basically means is the Ravens will have options if he comes back and have a big year. They have other decisions that are coming up for 25 that are not pleasant to think about. Mark Andrews would be another one in terms of, you know, yeah. is, is he where he is or, or is likely a guy who they think can replace him at that point. So I don't think I'm hoping Mark doesn't bang the door for the money like some of the other guys. I don't think Mark is that kind of guy, but with likely behind him, I don't know. I don't want to see a guy like Mark go. Well, this will be a big test for Monken and seeing how he can use them both in the same offense and keep them both happy. Um, there may not, you know, with, you'll, you'll have Odell Beckham out the door who yeah. is given every indication that he's very unhappy about his. Um, okay. I don't know if he, it gives every indication he's being utilized, but he's very unhappy with any kind of criticism of his yardage total. Yeah. Talks about having to play only a certain percentage of the snaps, which if you do the math, it's not really correct. Then tells us to do the math. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, uh, when you see that kind of stuff, I, I I don't see him coming back to Baltimore. I just don't. I don't. I do not foresee it. Hopefully, Bateman has a big year. Um, he did not have a good year this year. At least uh, Odell Beckham had a pretty good year in terms of yards per target. It just didn't have a good availability and utilization rate in, in the offense. So it, it could be that, it, you know, it makes all kinds of natural sense for them to move to likely as kind of a half wide receiver anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more 12, more 13, maybe for this team again and getting back to their very heavy roots. All right. Well, uh, let's talk 24. Uh, Zeitler, obviously the biggest deal. And what's your number on Zeitler? Let's say it's two years. How much would you pay? I think probably two years. 11 with probably four and a half being in the front half of the year and then having the back half with the, what is that? Six and a half, right? Okay. So, and you, you're going to have to have a signing bonus with that. Of course, that's, that's going to cover but, that up, but you, you're, you, I'm getting the range that you're thinking about. And would you need to incentivize his contract at all? I think so. I think the incentives are probably get Zeiler in the door more faster, probably. Okay. So some sort of prorated, if you play this many games, games you get played, it's played. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, there's, he, they probably can construct something like that because his NLTVEs have to be above the current level and he missed a couple games this year. So it could be that he, that, that they could make something like that work, but I trust the Ravens to get the pricing right on that. I, I'll, I'll be kind of a little bit, upset if it's much over 15 million for two years but it wouldn't shock me if it were somehow constructed as 19 million over two years with some void years and some ways yeah. that that can be manufactured and i'll know that it's a kick the can down the road contract if they if they do something like that so uh but anyway yeah. kevin he deserves a contract and i also think kevin knows that he knows his time's limited but he also knows this team has a good chance to get back to the super bowl if- if all things goes well and we're able to because offensively everything's intact pretty much just probably just one more receiver and then everything else is pretty much good to go. But I think uh, Zeitler knows this is another opportunity to get back to where we were last year and he'll probably he'll probably consider a hometown discount for the team. All right, we'll see. I don't think of Zeitler as being the kind of guy who has a long term hometown because he's, he's been a wanderer throughout right. the NFL playing for four teams. But, you know, it seems to be he and his wife have enjoyed the time playing here. You know, maybe this is a guy that, that, that they keep. Does it give you any pause with what the, how the Ravens may view, well, the entire other group of guards, Cleveland, Voorhees, Manning, and Sala, the fact that they're already talking about extending Zeitler? I think that does that does pose potential concern that they don't think they have their replacement in house already. Yeah. I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if they're willing to pay Zeitler that initial one year salary and then have the, the second year just be a void year, not void year, but you know, can be, I guess voided if he were to retire the next year. But 
he would be taking on that leadership role. And I think the Ravens are currently trying to figure out if they're willing to take that hit because they probably do anticipate Voorhees or Cleveland being the guy at right guard if it isn't Zeitler. So this is something they're probably already pre-planning in their price. They're going to show to Zeitler before they sign. Well, you know, one of the other nice things is if they give Zeitler, if they, if they talk to Zeitler and they can't come to an agreement, you know, the Ravens can be, Hey, Zeitler, we're making our best offer. It's two years, you know, 13 and a half million. You can at least take that to the market and say the Baltimore Ravens are willing to pay this. And if, if nobody else gives it to you, come on back. If it does, if somebody else does give it to him, maybe the Ravens get a six-round comp for it. That makes perfect sense. Um, anything else we need to talk about? Resigning Simpson, I think we already we already hit on earlier. How about a draft pick? Now we we both agree an offensive tackle is needed in this draft. And are you are you with me that it's a left tackle? Yes. Specifically, a left tackle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of guys play left tackle, so it has to be also a guy who actually played left tackle in college and a guy who actually also projects to play left tackle at the NFL level. I, I don't want to miss words in any way about this. I do not want a right tackle. I do not want a guard tackle. I do not want a versatile offensive line who could maybe play tackle in a in a in a pinch. I want a left tackle. Pure <laughs> left can, tackle. Yeah. He want he should have been playing left tackle since high school. We need that guy. <laughs> no, but yes, I 100 percent agree with you. I think the question is, what round do we go for? I think, uh, what do you have as our first round need right now? Oh, that's it for me. It's, it's not, the team's biggest need by far is to figure the two-year replacement of Stanley. And I, I think if 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 you're looking at the range of possible outcomes for Ronnie, I think the chance of him returning to a Pro Bowl level or higher is probably maybe only ten or fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. Maybe 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 towards ten percent. I would even say. Um, you know, it's, it's still a long shot. There's, there's guys who play left tackle pretty well and, and, you know, they get, they can get injured, but you know, Ronnie's also got all sorts of injury risk with his current situation. And I just think that the chance is relatively minimal. And that's the only way that I think extension comes back into the picture is if, if he does that. And by the way, that's another Ravens option there with Ronnie. If he's up at 20 million and 25, you might say, okay, well, we have to cut you for that, but we could extend you for three years here. Right. And then that obviously that would come with a lot of risk uh, if they make a move like that. No, that makes perfect sense. I think, uh, do you think we'll get a quality left tackle at 30? I think the, the, the guy you get at 30 is a two-year project. I don't, I don't think, you know, I think you might end up with a, a Trevor, hopefully not a Trevor Penning, because Trevor Penning was a guy who was a penalty machine, and then yeah. he obviously had some problems in the NFL as soon as he got here. But um, in terms of the, uh, of the guy you get, I think you get a, a little bit of a project player. Colton Miller was that sort of a player, and he did go higher than 30, but he only had one bad year before he became a very good player. So, you know, if I, I could put up with that. I'm, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not crazy about overdrafting at the position, but if there's any positions I'm going to overdraft for, it's quarterback number one and, and left yeah. tackle number two. So hypothetically speaking, say there is that developmental, well, developmental tackle at the back half of the first round, but there is, say, a receiver that dropped or edge rusher that dropped. Would you be tempted not to go for that out tackle, that left tackle? I I would have to very seriously mesh need and value at that point, and I, I'd be tempted if if the if there's a receiver that somebody else definitely wants, I would maybe try and trade down mm-hmm. to let that receiver get taken by another team. And obviously, all this is out the window if 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 there's any risk of a Zay suspension. Now we're not going to talk about that, but, yeah. but you know, we, we, we know this is a, a dark cloud right now and we just need to be aware that it's, you know, a change in the weather is possible. Yeah. So, um, but, but right now, I mean, I think, you know, I think Lamar will be able to deal with having a, a mediocre receiving group mm-hmm. and a fine offensive line better than he'll be able to deal with having a, a weak left tackle situation and a and in particular weak long term left tackle situation and a um, little bit stronger receiving core. Couldn't agree with you more. Hundred percent. All right. 
Frazier, always a pleasure to talk football with you. It's been a, a real good review. Appreciate drawing on your experience uh, as well as a guard and uh, and uh, going through this with us. Had a great time on doing the matchup shows with you this year. I, I wish we didn't have to stop when we did. I wish there had been another one for the Super Bowl, but uh, certainly was fun doing those with you uh, last year. I look forward to uh, picking that up with you again uh, next year. Maybe we start in the preseason and we talk a little bit about what we're hoping to see from some of those games um, and not just, you know, key matchups for wins and loses, but key matchups for who makes the roster kind of time. But when the preseason starts. For sure, Ken. Glad for you to have me on this year. It's been a blast. Like you said, saddened that I end so short. I'm uh, almost envious that I should have been in Vegas this past weekend, but it's okay. I think um, we have a lot of things to be excited for moving forward in 24. I know a lot of people aren't ready to hear that, but it's true that we, we have a good team and, there are things to be excited for, but we have a lot of work to do moving forward. Yeah. Got to move on in either case. There's uh, there really isn't any point in, in, in grumbling and whining about it. We have the rest of our lives literally to complain about this season for right now. Let's start getting ready for 24. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> this is a draft coming up pretty soon. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up. It can be any topic. Now we're in the off season, multi episode things are possible. But here's the one I really want to talk to people about. So historical pod this offseason will be on once there was a player or my favorite Raven was. And what I'm looking for is non-top tier Ravens. You to tell me about who that player was for you that you liked a lot more than other people liked. So Anthony Levine, Tyus Bowser, Chad Williams would be guys I like. I like obviously a high predilection for guys who are versatile in coverage and can drop the dime um, in the case of Levine and Williams. But uh, uh, tell me who that player is for you. And, and we're, we're not looking for the guys who might make the Hall of Fame or even the next tier of players like, like Torrey Smith and players like that. Those, those players are too good to really be in this. We're looking for a little bit more obscure. I will get to you very quickly if you have players from before the year 2000. So if, if you have anybody, and a lot of Ravens fans, they're just memory does not extend back that far. I understand that. But if you've got a player from before 2000, I'm interested in hearing about it. And if you've got a year to a player before 2000 that you'd like me to get on the show, I will try and make that happen as well. Um, we've had Ed Sutter on the show, by the way, before. We did a great job of talking about how he lost his job to Ray Lewis and he lost his um, job at shortstop in the Peoria Little League travel Little League team uh, to Jim Tomei. <laughs> so, so he was ousted by a pair of Hall of Famers. A great, great story personally about a guy who had four consecutive zero yard stuffs at the one yard line over a two week period in 1996 that uh, that uh, included Lawrence Phillips and a intersection of a lot of history um, with that guy. We're looking for that kind of story. So if you have another player, uh, you know, that we just don't talk about anymore. I'd love to talk about him with you. Hit me up. Uh, DMs are always open on Twitter. I'll get back to you very quickly. Frazier, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.